0: To do this show live, it's called Late Kick Live. There's no substitute for live, but it's so terrifying to do live college football shows in December in transfer portal season because I'm just strolling through the hallway doing my meditative pregame as usual, and all of a sudden I get like 47 texts. Matt Zenitz has dropped a bomb on us. We got transfer portal activity in Athens, Georgia. This is just boom, boom, boom. This is the way it is this time of year, and we're supposed to keep track of it all. But hey, It's better than having a real job. We're jam-packed high atop a festive downtown Nashville, Tennessee on this Thursday, December 14th, the year of our Lord, 2023. SEC schedule has been dropped in our lap. We're going to, I am going to give you some thoughts, and then later on I'll have a friendly guest join us and give you his thoughts as well. Transfer portal, like I said, insane, on fire. We could have done an hour-long transfer portal segment tonight. We're going to try our best, no promises, to condense it a little bit tighter than that, uh, immunity, college football health. I have a question for you, and I want you to think on it. I'm not going to talk about it right away. Do you think college football is healthy right now? Do you? And follow-up question, how do you gauge college football's health? What statistics, what metrics do you use to gauge that? What's the barometer? Uh, Cole Kubelik is making a mysterious reappearance on the show later tonight, and I've got some bones to pick with him spoiler alert i'll also be wearing a different t-shirt by the time i talk to him i'll let you figure out how that went down they're watching us believe it or not in ocho rios jamaica no accent cuz i can't do it i can't even roll an r when we say buenos aires argentina so i am uh, i'm struggling at best to get some of the some of the non continental us cities pronounced but i do my best mountain brook alabama got that one they're watching council bluffs iowa And Prescott, Arizona, for a second show in a row, is tuned in. Christmas is almost upon us. Let me give you a little five-second heads up. PateStateMaterial.com has your merch. Okay? Someone told me yesterday on Twitter, man, if there was a Pate State fitness shirt, I'd buy one. Boom. Right there. Front page. PateStateMaterial.com. Check it out. All right. Let's dive into the show. Yes, 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 friends. The SEC finally has heeded, take heeded of, headed, take headed of, they have hoed my advice, and they have made a spectacle out of the SEC schedule release, as every conference should and should have been doing for a long time. I don't want to take all the credit for it. Probably 50-50 me and Greg Sankey here, but they had, it was beautiful, a two-hour just extravaganza of a schedule release last night. You know how I know it was great? Because had, I had people complaining about how long it was and complaining about how it's two hours like someone's Someone's wheeling a television in front of your prison cell and stapling your eyelids to the bottom of your forehead, making you watch. Turn the channel off if you don't like it. Me personally, I was glued to it. I salute the SEC. And so, with that in mind, what are some takeaways? I know you guys had a lot of thoughts on this. This out of conference schedule is wild. You may think to yourself, What what are you talking about, Josh? It was it was the conference schedules that were beefed up, right? Texas is in here, OU's in here. That's true. However, I have it on very good authority, the SEC, that the following teams will play against SEC opponents in just the first month of the season. USC, Miami, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma State, NC State, Wisconsin. Bama goes to Wisconsin next year, by the way. UCLA, LSU plays both the SoCal schools in the month of September. Virginia Tech, Houston, Tulane, like, hello. I, by the way, think it's a little bit crazy to have all these out-of-conference opponents on your schedule if you're also going to beef up your conference schedule if, big if here, if the protocol for determining the playoff field doesn't change. Now, if you're an FSU fan, I want you to earmuff it for like 10 seconds. I'll give you time to find your earmuffs. You got them? Okay. <clears throat> we got 10 seconds. By and large, you're judged based on your record in this sport. And that's got to change in the future. Because if you're going to beef up your conference schedule like this, and you're also going to schedule a tough out of conference, I got news for you. There are going to be some nine and threes in the SEC that trump some 11 and ones in some other conferences. And I know that's not palatable. I know that doesn't go down very easy right now. You're just going to have to get used to it. Earmuffs off. Welcome back to the party, guys. So I think it's crazy, even with a 12-team field, which is supposed to be the impetus for all this. Don't be scared to schedule stiffer competition. There's a 12-team field, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's great. And if you understand that you better have room for maybe a fringe 8-4 and team if their strength of schedule is tough enough to be in that thing. As long as you understand that, we're cool. But the moment you bang this increased your strength of schedule drum in August, And then in December, you're screaming at me, well, you are what your record says you are. No, not interested in that. I'm interested to see how that plays out, though, because I love, hey, man, nobody loves marquee out-of-conference games more than me, as long as strength of schedule is properly interpreted come December. And I've got some wild thoughts on how December could look down the road a little bit later in the show. Uh, Florida is like serving a prison sentence in November next year. I've never seen anything like this. The Florida Gators in November of 2024 will play Georgia in Jacksonville. They will then go to Texas the very next week, home versus LSU, home versus Ole Miss, and they'll wrap up the year at Florida State. Could I just remind you of something? If those teams right there played Florida this year in that order, they will have faced essentially five playoff teams at the end of the year. If we're in a 12-team field, which we're going to be in moving forward, that is wrapping up your season with five playoff teams in a row. And here's what I'm talking about. Here's where rubber meets road. Now, I don't think Florida's going to be a playoff contender next year, but let's just say they were, okay? Let's say they were going into the month of November with zero losses or one loss. And, And let's say they go one and four in November. Let's say... It's just, it's close games, they're competitive, but they go one and four. How are you going to judge that? You're going to just be, you are what your record says you are, or you're going to understand there's probably very few teams out there that could have done any better than three and two against this. And here's the other part of that. From from an odds-making, power-rating, best-over-most-deserving approach that the playoff committee started to take as of five minutes ago... All of those teams are top 10 teams. Those are top 10 caliber teams right now. So let's just pretend this year was next year. Let's say those same five teams are the same quality they are for argument's sake. Theoretically, Florida could be the 11th best team in the country, lose to all five of them, and still be the 11th best team in the country. And if you're trying to field a 12-team playoff, what are you going to do? Now, that's a radical, radical example. Chances are no one's ever going to have to face what Florida's having to face. In the back half of their schedule here, but just versions of that are going to happen. And that's why I'm telling you, you're going to have some of these SEC teams, maybe Big Ten teams as well, who are sitting there at nine and three. And everybody's for strengthening these schedules. Are you ready to put nine and three teams in over 11 and one teams? Are you ready to consider that maybe a nine and three team belongs in over a 12 and 0 from the American Athletic Conference? If you're not, then this has no purpose. Or, I'm going to tell you this too, if you're not, you better get ready for that playoff to be totally shaken up. Just I'm going to touch on it in a second, don't worry. Uh, Auburn and Tennessee, somehow, even in this revitalized SEC schedule, they're still the only teams that have to play Georgia and Alabama next year. That's going to rotate, but those were the two teams that had Georgia and Alabama as their annual rivals in the old model and lo and behold, the new model. Auburn's got to go to Athens and to Tuscaloosa next year. Tennessee at least gets one of them at home, one of them on the road. Um, I know that's going to change, but it really, really matters. One of the great benefits, you know, if you're looking at a schedule for Alabama or for Georgia, is they never have to play themselves. Now next year, they play each other. In fact, let's talk about that. The, the Georgia, the Georgia shock to the senses Georgia's shock to the senses is going to be pretty real here. Like, Georgia will be the best team on the field. Maybe every game they play, we'll see. Uh, They'll be either close to a point spread favorite or a point spread favorite every week. But this is a little bit different world than that SEC East pillow fight that they've been used to over there. They got Clemson and Georgia Tech out of conference. Both of them are really good programs, but they go to Bama, to Texas, and to Ole Miss next year. And they get Tennessee and Auburn in Athens for good measure. Again, they're, they've, they're very much equipped and they can handle business just as much as anyone else could. But it's a different challenge when you don't get to bring your... In other words, I look at your schedule and I ask, how many times could you afford to play your B-minus game and win? And the fact for Georgia recently has been they can afford to bring B-minus level performance most weeks, even in conference play, and win. The SEC East has been that down for that long. That is not the case anymore. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Carson Beck, we think he's coming back, Uh, returning quarterback or not. That's another thing to keep in mind. I think all this is going to have a massive impact. This new scheduling model and the SEC and henceforth in the Big Ten is going to have such a massive impact on the future of the college football playoff. I want you to remember something. We got an expanded playoff coming up this next year, 2024 and 2025. That's decided upon, and that's in stone. Beyond that is the edge of a cliff. No one knows anything. Nothing's been finalized. There's no format. There's nothing agreed upon. There is no media rights deal for it. Nothing. And I think what's going to happen is I think you'll come into this next year, and you'll watch what SEC football with Texas and OU in the conference is like. You'll watch Big Ten football with Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA in the conference, and you'll see what that's like. And most importantly, you'll watch everything else that exists outside of those two, and you'll realize how wide the gap is, and you're not going to be able to fool your own common sense. You're going to look at it, and you're going to say, why are we bothering with a 12-team playoff? I'm looking at this league down here. As option A. I'm looking at this league up here as option B. There's not really much else outside of that. There is a smattering of legitimate brands outside of that. Why are we going through this charade of a playoff? And there are auto bids baked into the next two years. That's why, if you don't get really serious as a committee about giving extreme preference to the Big Ten and the SEC, which is sacrilege for me to say, I know, but if you don't get serious, about giving extreme preference, more so than you've already given them before to these two leagues, they're not signing on to any new media rights deal. They're not signing their name on any piece of paper in the future that guarantees auto bids to any of you. And you know what? If I could speak selfishly for a second, if I were Tony Petiti or I were Greg Sankey, I wouldn't either. I think it's in their best interest to drag their feet enough to where people can see this product that they're going to put on the field next year. And realize how wide the gap is in quality between the SEC and the Big Ten and everyone else. And then by the time they, you know, I'm going to use family-friendly language here. By the time they put their personality on the table, their equity on the table, it won't even be something that can make you all that mad. Because you will have watched it yourself. You're telling me we're going to have half a dozen auto bids for conference champions? Are you outside your mind? it makes no sense in the future. And so you haven't seen it yet, is my point. You can't see a world yet where the SEC exists like this or the Big Ten exists like this. The Pac-12 is not here anymore. Uh, The Big 12 is gutted. You haven't seen it yet. You're going to see it this next fall. And all of a sudden, I think like a lot of other people behind the curtain have known is coming, the general college football public will finally be made aware that It's insane to have a playoff structure like that in the future. What sense does it make? And from their perspective, the Big Ten and the SEC, if you do try and play hardball with them, they'll just take their ball and go home and and have their own playoff. And that leads to self-governance, and that leads to a lot of other things that are probably coming in this sport anyway. So anyway, I don't know how it's going to shake out. I got my feelings, just like you do. But this new schedule and and the the two structures of these new leagues are going to go a long way in determining the future of this sport. Let's talk about determining the rest of December here for just a second. We've got stuff happening even as we've started to go on air. The transfer portal ablaze. You can see the smoke for miles and miles. Malik Murphy, the backup quarterback there at Texas, entered the portal, I think, yesterday. Uh, Crazy. Another casualty of the college football calendar because we are a sport that is void of centralized leadership, and therefore we are a sport which has free agency in the middle of its playoff, in the middle of its draft. It's all happening at the same time. Just brilliance by the adults in the room here. And so because of the adults' inability to properly structure a calendar, the kids who want to stay on their team as long as they can have no choice but to go in the portal. And so that's what Malik Murphy did. Dude started a couple of games for Texas this year in Quinn Ewer's absence, and now he's in the portal. And Texas now is, is one thumb injury away from Arch Manning playing against Washington in the middle of the second quarter in the Sugar Bowl. So that's where we are right now. Now, what's fascinating with Malik Murphy is I'm listening to Tom Loy earlier today on the 24-7 Sports Transfer Portal show because I'm just kind of pulling names out of thin air. Hey, where do I think Malik Murphy could end up? And I'm, I'm thinking usual suspect destinations, Right. And Loy mentions Duke as his favorite and mentions Baylor. And I'm, I had Jesse rewind it and play it for me again. Did he just say what I think he said? Duke and Baylor. There's a pre-existing relationship between Manny Diaz and Malik Murphy. And then Baylor's right down the road. And a lot of programs are in need of this caliber quarterback, Baylor included. I, either one of those would excite me because those aren't the usual suspects. And that would be really interesting as a way to distribute the quarterback talent more evenly around the country. Keeping an eye on that. South Carolina's making big moves right now. Rocket Sanders, we talked to you about him out of Arkansas. As soon as he jumped in the portal, Rocket Sanders went healthy, all SEC caliber guy, and South Carolina landed him. Shane Beamer and company, they've been very active. They've been active in the portal. They've been active on social. Shane Beamer is a lot like me in that he lets you know when he's done something good. I can't disagree with the approach because everyone lets you know when you screw up, so why don't you let them know when you do something good? They badly needed this. They were 129th this past season in rush yards per game. And like I said, when healthy, Rocket Sanders is an all-SEC caliber guy, but they also got Oscar Attaway, who probably is going to come to Columbia with less acclaim, but they love him because they think with Sanders and Attaway, they filled out their running back room, and that's a three-star kid from North Texas Very complimentary styles. And uh, it was so imperative, so imperative that they land at least one, uh, if not preferably two. So they did that. So salute to the folks in Columbia. Uh, While everyone else was just on message boards complaining, they went out and did something about it. Marvin Jones at Georgia hopped in the portal. That is not breaking news. But here on my post-it, on this index finger, I've got breaking news in a second. So Marvin Jones, yet another former five-star out of that class in 2022. There's a lot of smoke around FSU right now, and uh, that would be my betting favorite for him. But that's not the breaking news. The breaking news, again, as indicated on this post-it, we'll do a post-it pop. On this uh, post-it note here is uh, Jamin Dumas Johnson is also in the portal, and this just happened within the past hour or so. Matt Zenich reporting, you're going to hear that phrase a lot in transfer portal season for years to come, Matt Zenitz here, our very own, is reporting that Dumas Johnson's in the portal. I mean, that's a starter now. He was All-SEC preseason linebacker for Georgia. They've got depth there. Uh, This is is not something that is totally gutting for Georgia. It hurts depth. Um, They've got front-line guys behind him. That's not where this hurts. It hurts if anything happens to those front-line guys, and I— I'm I'm just continuing to look up the road, or I guess down the road from where we're situated. That's either 15 or 16 kids who have entered the portal now from Georgia since the end of the season, and I know. Trust me, I look at my I look at my eye, Josh, and I see texts from back home. I know there's a little bit of a mild to moderate freakout down there. Let me tell you how big the doomsday scenario is for Georgia. They're about to land the number one class in the country, guys, and I have a sneaking suspicion and uh, Kirby has not returned my call on this yet. If he does, I'll answer it on the air, but I have a sneaking suspicion they'll probably end up landing some kids out of the portal too. So I'm not trying to write this off as a nothing issue or a nothing burger, which is the most overused phrase in politics and sports. However, I don't quite think it is the doomsday scenario that some, the younger amongst us, are making it out to be. R.J. Oban? to uh, well, no, I, I wrote this down wrong, Jesse. I caught myself. I'm so happy about this. So I almost sent this kid to the wrong place. So RJ, from Duke, right, Jesse? From Duke to Notre Dame, instead of transferring to Duke, I'm, mm, you have no idea. There's like one time per show I slip up. For example, the other night, I, not only did I mispronounce Rayola's name, because it's Rayola, but I said Dylan Rayola's dad coaches at Nebraska. Well, his uncle coaches at Nebraska. I know that therefore I shouldn't have said it, but I just, sometimes it slips. It's live, right? And then the comment section is filled with people who do nothing but watch the show and they fact check, which is okay. Okay. We need watchdogs just like everyone else. This thing would have been like catnip for the watchdogs or watch cats as it were. But RJ Oban is transferring to Notre Dame from Duke He's an edge player, 6'4", 260, had 17 tackles, six of them for loss, five sacks this past year. They have needs at Notre Dame all along the defensive line. You know what stands out to me about this is think about how crazy it is when the transfer portal first got presented, when the transfer portal was first invented as a concept that we know it as today. You thought to yourself, well, there'll be some schools out there that just live off this thing. And then there'll be other schools that have to be way more selective because they just can't afford to traffic in the same approaches that other schools do, academic standards are higher, blah, blah, blah. Notre Dame is killing it in the portal and Clemson has barely touched the thing. I wouldn't have believed that six or seven years ago if you would have introduced this concept to me. Notre Dame is number two right now. In the 24 7 sports team transfer portal rankings, Kentucky is also making a move because they're, what are they? They're at five commits right now and they have added Mr. Macklin, and that's a kid that we talked about. Jamori Macklin is a receiver out of North Texas and he's transferred to Kentucky. That's another offensive skill position guy that Mark Stoops has added. He got the quarterback, and um, well, Last year, so first I want to talk to you about last year. Last year, he goes and gets Devin Leary. And eh, kind of worked out, whatever. But also went and got Ray Davis. Ray Davis was a big addition. And so this year, they've addressed quarterback with Vandergriff. They've addressed running back. They've addressed wide receiver now. And they continue to do so. And it could just be that this is the approach they choose to take. Uh, it's too early to know what the trends are. But it could be an approach they choose to take. That's a 1,000-yard wide receiver. Out of North Texas, in 2023, he had 17 yards per catch. In 2022, 24 yards per catch. 5'11, about 180, 185, pretty explosive. And so, we're gonna try it again. We're gonna we're gonna roll the old portal dice out there again. We'll see what comes up this time for Kentucky. Uh, just some quick notes here: Grayson McCall, uh, about 19 or 20 years into his career at Coastal Carolina, headed to NC State. MJ Morris. Headed to Maryland. Aiden Childs, we told you the other day, the Oregon State true freshman four-star quarterback we thought would probably follow his head coach to Michigan State. He has done that. So Aiden Childs is headed to Michigan State. Big pickups. Um, things on fire right now. Like the portal is loaded. This is not slowing down. You don't have to like it, um, but you have to accept it for now. We'll see if we get some guardrails on this thing in the very near future. I have great news. I mean, I have an email in my hand, and I want to read it to you so you know that our show is synonymous with Academy Sports and Outdoors and vice versa. They've been our partner since close to the very beginning. They make the show free of charge. I saw a screenshot earlier today, Jim Cramer over on Mad Money, talking about the Academy stock. Guess what it's doing? (laughs) Economic troubles? Couldn't be us. I don't want to claim credit. I, I just... I do want to claim a little credit. So anyway, I open up the inbox and I get this email from one of you. It reads as follows. Hey Josh and the Pate State team. Earlier this year, my wife, oldest son, and I traveled from Colorado to Mobile, Alabama for a memorial service celebrating my mother-in-law. She was a wonderful lady and had lived with us off and on over the past 40 years. She loved Bear Bryant and was a master gardener just like your Meemaw. We're a college football family. My wife and I are both Bama alumni, Coach Bryant era. My boys and I are loyal listeners and subscribers, of course. We're helping my daughter, and this is important, pay attention. I know a lot of you are going through this. We're helping my daughter convert her husband from the NFL to the college game. He's a bit casual, but we still love him. I personally take credit for many of your Colorado subscribers. Here's where rubber meets the road, folks. My wife has heard all about late kick and pate state, So she did not question our first stop of our trip to Academy Sports and Outdoors. It was everything we hoped for. Super friendly people. They have everything we need in life. Gladly spent a fair amount of money. Some photos of that blessed event are attached. I have a Pate State material family and would be grateful to display a chalice of supremacy in our home during Bama's run to another championship. Thanks for considering your friends in Colorado. Chris. Thank you, Chris. I need one thing from you, my friend. I need you to email me your shipping address because a special Christmas chalice of supremacy is on the way. Notice this. You see what he has there. If you're listening on podcast, that is Big League Chew. I told you uh, one of the hallmarks of a Pate State member going to shop at Academy is they grab the Big League Chew in the checkout line. I don't even care if you don't like gum. Just ceremonially, you got to pick up some Big League Chew. So we appreciate it, man. Um, Send me that shipping address and I'll get a chalice sent out to you. Well, Jesse will handle it, but it comes from all of us with love. Okay, I got one more thing to get to, and then Kubelik is just going to barge in here, but this is an important topic. (sighs) Let me take a sip from the chalice. This could go a number of different ways.
1: As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick Six is a must listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest Is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer. Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.
0: Um, I asked, mm, there goes the whale sound. I asked you at the beginning of the show, do you feel like college football is in a healthy place right now? All right, so with that in mind, Colin, here's your end point. Todd hit us up. Todd said, If you think the calendar in college football is broken, how healthy do you think the sport is overall? I don't think it's healthy at all, Todd. But let me start by saying this I love college football, man. There is no second sport for me. I love college football. Have since the day I was born, will until the day I die. I know sometimes lately it's sounded like I'm focusing on the negative aspects and I sound negative towards the sport. No, no, no. It's not that at all and I apologize if it does come off that way. It's just that I love the sport. I hate some of the hands that are on the sport right now, if that makes any sense to you. You can, you can have love for something and hate the way it's being handled. And so that's how I, and I think a lot of you feel about college football. So no, I don't think the sport's healthy right now, but there are mixed opinions on this. Uh, there are some folks who think the sport's never been in a better place, and they've got their own criteria. They've got their own uh, you know, tools for measurement they use, I'll ask you, what do you go to? Todd, anyone else? What do you go to if you want to answer the question, is your sport healthy? So I think you got some common sense stuff and then you got some things right in your face. Common sense, okay? Common sense has me look at college football right now and look at how big a disaster the calendar is, uh, how crazy NIL and the portal have overlapped to Create something that's unsustainable totally, and how coaches are burning out, staffers are burning out, conferences have crumbled just in the past couple of years because of a lot of greed that has no business in the room. It never had to happen. Common sense has me look at that and say, This isn't healthy. This isn't what college football should be. But then someone else may walk in and say, Hey, but ratings are good, TV ratings are good. And I don't think that that is anywhere close to the top of the list of metrics that should be used to gauge the health of anything, especially an entire sport. First off, the thing about TV ratings is there are 37 different variables in play that really have nothing to do with college football that go into determining year-over-year ratings. And there are all kinds of other things that are very, very intricately woven into that process and that language that most people who talk TV ratings don't even know how to speak. But let's just say that ratings are good, because they are. They are right when they say TV ratings are really good and, and viewer traffic is up for college football right now. Using current TV ratings to suggest that college football is healthy is the same thing as coming to me and saying, well, that person can't have a terminal illness. They look great. They look phenomenal. Well, you could have two things true at the same time. Now, I'm not saying that anything terminal, no terminal blow, no poison has been permanently injected into college football. But if I'm going to suggest that the sport's not in a healthy place right now and all you have to come back at me with is, well, TV ratings are up. Dude, Those things are so detached from each other. There is no reputable person in my industry, you know, at, at the behind the curtain, up the ladder, several rungs executive level, who will say, yeah, the first thing we go to to gauge the health of a product is ratings. Or let me put it to you like this. Let's just say that college football's leaders, and trust me, I use that term very loosely, let's just say college football's leaders met in a room two months ago in October and made 15 of the most catastrophic decisions they could ever make about the sport. Do you think the SEC championship game would have done any less of a number on TV? Of course it wouldn't have. Now, the sport would have been dealt a death blow unbeknownst to you and me, the ratings would have been fine. Because ratings are well downstream of decision-making. You make a bad decision today, you may not reap the side effects for five years. But it will happen, and you will reap negative side effects from some of the bad decision-making that's happened already in our sport. And if it continues to happen, um, it'll be pretty prolonged. That's why I think self-governance is the answer at the conference level. I think self-governance is the answer. Hey, you don't like the way the transfer portal's working right now? Listen, um, I'm a believer that from this point moving forward, this is the only answer. You can go back in time and say, I wish we could have done this or that different. From this point moving forward, self-governance is going to be the answer. Self-governance, when I say that, I mean this, is conferences. Not even maybe necessarily just at the university level, but conferences who are able to sign their own media rights deal, Big Ten, SEC, chief among them, going to their players and entering into whatever kind of agreement it has to be. If it's employment, we'll just call it employment, and saying, uh, this ain't going to fly anymore. And we got, we got billions of dollars over here in media rights money. You're going to get your cut of it, but you're also going to sign a contract. And when you commit to Auburn, you're locked into Auburn for a minimum baseline a number of years. There is not going to be free agency every year. Uh, we're going to reconstruct this calendar because we're in charge of it now. We're also not going not to treat the academic calendar as something we can kind of hide behind. Oh, oh, academic calendar. Forget the academic calendar. It's not been about that for a long time anyway. This is all going to happen. I don't know if it's two years away or 20 years away. That's where we're headed. I don't necessarily love that, but I, I can't go back in time 15 or 20 years and change the Modus operandi that a lot of folks back then had because they never thought they would need to budge an inch on this stuff. Well, now uh, you've been pushed off of your perch and you don't have the ability to go back in time. So self governance is going to be the answer. And so I think, I don't think that college football has been dealt any kind of death blow. There's a lot to love about the sport. I think in time, we may look back, let's say five years from now, and I think you may see that college football in 2022 23 was at its relative lowest point when it comes to a lot of chaos and, and lack of guardrails and controls. I think we'll get them in the very near future. Doesn't mean that the, the bowl season will ever be as pristine as it once was, and you're going to have to come to grips with employment status maybe for players. But here's what I asked someone last night who DM'd me and said, Josh, I'm kind of being turned off by the sport. I get those DMs in December a lot. I get those DMs in transfer portal season. In other words, times when we're not playing football. Because I ask that person the same thing I always ask anyone who tells me they're thinking about leaving the sport. Do Saturdays in the fall feel any different for you? I go to a game every Saturday. I'm telling you, third and two with five minutes to go in the third quarter when it's a tie game feels no different to me than it always has. It's just how much of your attention do you choose to give the off the field stuff that frankly doesn't impact you or much of your enjoyment of the games in the fall if you don't let it that's my advice if you don't like what's going on uh, i may I may have to give you some advice that runs counter to our strategy here on the channel. It may be time to just uh, cut the show off for a little while when I talk about things of this nature, don't click on the videos if that doesn't interest you or it, As Meemaw would say, get your diaper down a little bit. Don't do it forever. You know, we we, want to keep the lights on here. But self-governance is largely what's going to solve that issue. And it's going to take some forward thinkers to solve that issue in, in short supply in college athletics. But I think we'll get the right minds in the room in due time. FanDuel has lines all over the place for bowl season. I, for example, have my eye on a few of them. The Ramen Noodle Express is not done, people. We had another 57%, not completion percentage. I'm so used to saying completion percentage after saying percentage, but we had a 57% year against the spread again this year, but we're not done. That is a a living, breathing number. We could improve. I guess we could fall short too, but I'm going to have some bowl plays for you. FanDuel is the place to find them. And if you're curious, go ahead and start perusing at your leisure. Uh, FanDuel's got the hookup. They've got prop bets over there as well. I mean, you got derivatives. Derivatives are always fun for me, but I don't talk about them a lot because it's a really, really big word. Too many syllables to explain. Uh, first half, second half, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, that sort of thing. But if you also want to go over there and start looking to the future, it won't be too long before we start getting some Heisman odds for next year. You want to talk about... Sometimes specialized things like which head coach is going where. They do some really fun stuff over there. But um, we are going to get to a place, probably on the December 28th show, where I've got some games I like and lean in close again. I don't want the entire world to hear this. I'll probably have some boosts for you. I'll probably get you some baked in value just because you heard it on this show. And hey, if you follow the Ramen Noodle Express and you're going to move on the games anyway, Wouldn't that be nice? Get yourself a little bit of added vig, a little bit of added juice there. Uh, FanDuel is your place to go, and they are the exclusive odds provider of our show. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXTSTEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1 800 9 with it in Indiana one 800 522 4700 or visit KSGamblingHelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one 800 gamblernet in West Virginia. Or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 800- 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope-NY or text Hope NY in New York. All right, Colin, we're going to do something we've never done before here. I'm going to welcome in a special guest. Uh, it's, frankly, it's one of the best guest hosts that we've ever had on the show. He comes to us from let me get his bio here. Uh Fortson, Georgia. He uh, we went to Harris County High School graduated honorably, but not with honors. And he resides now in the greater Nashville area. I want you to welcome Josh Pate. Cole Kublik, tell me exactly what's on your mind right now.
1: Uh, dark mode. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I feel like this is when the teams who have great traditional uniforms feel like they have to have a blackout for some reason, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's not right. Um, what are we doing? Can you believe we I fell for this? At it. Pate State, we fell for the blackout. How pathetic. It's all about them kids, yeah. really, and recruiting. And we got to make the kids happy. We need more graphics. We can slap this on a graphic and tweet it out. And everybody's like, look at our black uniforms. We're going to turn the lights off in the stadium. It's going to be so cool.
0: Yeah, it's, so, it's actually- I hope
1: you're happy with yourself. <laughs> I hope you feel good. Because all the old money is about to withdraw those checks from Pate State. Good luck with that. You're going to have to go to that subscription model for $4.99 a month and hope you can get a quarterback with that money.
0: Or just put black t shirts on the shelves at PateStateMaterial.com and more than make up for it. It's about merch sales. We got to move product, man. Um, so, I, like you, have seen the new SEC schedule for 2024. I am thinking to myself, uh, this is a death march for several of these teams. And I am thinking that uh, the, the modern day 9-3 and three, or 8-4 and four, is a really good record. If Florida went 8-4 and four next year, I would just blindly put him in the 12-team playoff probably. However, I'm not so sure that the uh, college football public's mentality is going to adjust to correlate their expectation level with the increased level of play that a lot of these teams are going to have on field. And I just wonder if expectations are going to be really detached from reality for a while. Because some of these schedules are insane. And I want to talk to you about that. And then this question you posed on Twitter earlier today, I want to get to that in a second because I could not disagree more with a lot of the answers that you got. But first off, your takeaways from this whole thing.
1: Uh, It's The first thing that you said, a literal death march for multiple teams. Florida would be at the top of the list. The only reason we're not saying that about Georgia is because we know they're going to have five stars all over the place right. and Kirby's going to have a really good football team or else we'd be saying the same thing about Georgia's schedule that we're saying about Florida's schedule. I mean, the November that Florida's got, I've i have never seen anything like it, Josh, to close out a season. Georgia in Jacksonville at Texas, LSU Ole Miss at home at Florida Street. Great googly moogly. Like what is happening? I, I don't even know how to – Georgia's got Clemson and Georgia Tech to sort of sandwich their season. Um, by the way, they have to go to Alabama before they play Auburn. And, you know, then they got to play Mississippi State before they go to Texas. That's all within a four-week span. It's, it's bonkers, man. Like, and you look at, even with some of the teams that have forgiving schedules, Auburn, for say, they don't leave Jordan-Hare Stadium until October. But then they don't come back to Jordan Hare Stadium until November the second. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. I mean, Alabama, I feel like I feel like Alabama got off pretty good in this deal, by the way. I, I don't feel like their schedule's too bad at all, but they got to go to Norman the week before the Iron Bowl. Wait, wait, wait. They don't play back to back road games the entire year.
0: Hold so. up, I didn't I didn't get this until just now. So Auburn has a five game homestand and a three game homestand, and that's
1: it. It's just all the What's all it? the home games touch each other. How how about uh, how about Georgia? They play three SEC teams at home. Three. Yeah. Three Southeastern Conference games at home—it's insane.
0: I know how to crazy, yeah. I know how crazy Kirby is about that game being in Jacksonville. Hey, uh, let me just float a theory to you, okay? So this is where I—I I always hate the way that, well, I most of the time hate the way that college football teams are are ranked. This is why I choose power ratings in the JP poll. So let's just say that Florida's next year schedule featured teams that were the exact same caliber that they were this year, just for the sake of argument. So if you're okay. playing. Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida State to end your season. That means you're playing uh, five top 10 caliber teams in a row. Theoretically, just in in a 12-team playoff era, theoretically, if you're the 11th or 12th best team in the country, odds makers would expect you to go 0-5 against that stretch. You and I both know a five-loss team is not making that playoff, and sure enough, The same people who demand strength of schedule be like this. And you got some clowns out there saying, that's not enough. They should play nine conference games. (laughs) Those same people who beat that drum in September or August would be right there in December screaming, they can't be in. They've got four losses. They've got five losses. And that, my friend, as they would say in pro wrestling, is where the rub is for me. That's what I hate.
1: You're only as good as your schedule, right? And as you just stated the last month of the that would be five playoff teams. Yes. We're in a 12-team playoff right now. All five of those teams, Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida State. I mean, hell, one of them's in. Two of them easily could have been in this year. LSU and Ole Miss would be in a 12-team playoff this year. So, I mean, maybe not LSU, but they'd be at least knocking on the door. It's insane to think about what it is. And then just sprinkle in, by the way, Miami and Central Florida, mm-hmm. two teams are going to have a little bit extra Probably as talented, maybe more talented than the Florida team. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like based on portal and recruiting, but they're going to be close as far as talent's concerned, and have a little bit extra coming to town in far as what they want to do and how they want to play you. So, I mean, it, even just some of the emotional aspects of what they're going to get in their schedule, it's insane. Now, I will say this: one last takeaway for you, and I believe I heard you say one time that that Mima said you always judge a flight by the landing, and of you don't course. want any turbulence on the landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas is about to get the smoothest landing into a new conference that maybe we have ever seen. Um, Now, I know they play at Michigan week two, and that is going to be incredible because that is as big of a helmet game as you're ever going to get, as big of a logo game as you will ever see in college football from a non-con perspective. But I want you to just peek down that schedule and tell me when you feel like they will truly be indoctrinated to the SEC. When do you think... Texas is truly going to feel it. When are they going to feel like they're in the Southeastern Conference? And I want to hear the date on when you think that takes place.
0: I don't know that it happened. I know what you're getting at. It doesn't really happen because their bye weeks and their uh, Tier 3 opponents are very fortuitously placed. I mean, they've got, they've got the OU game they've always played. OU Georgia back-to-back is a nightmare, but you've yes. got Georgia coming to Austin. And also, mm-hmm. I mean, Georgia does that for the first time as well. So it's not like it's easy on one side, hard on the other. But you get Vandy after you play OU Georgia. And then you got another bye week. And I think it's at the end of the season. You know, they, I, would, I would normally look at Florida, but you're playing them at home. You get Arkansas up in Fayetteville. That's a game, as you know, the last time they went up there, that was a total nightmare for them. But, I mean, what are we really talking about here? Like, you could be going to LSU. So be glad that you're playing Arkansas, unless there's a magical rebound. And then it's Kentucky and Texas A&M. I don't know that they have that. So I get the point it's you're making here. You,
1: it's fair that you say they might not even have it. I was going to go November 16th. And yes, they've been there in recent memory. So maybe that offsets it and helps it a little bit. But you get the little pig suey. You get the giant hog over on the sideline in the cage. Like you, It's going to be freezing cold. It's not going to be comfortable. The grass is going to be dead. It's going to feel like you're landing on pavement when you're getting tackled. And they'll be loud. They'll be obnoxious. That place is going to be raucous. And there are a lot of people that when you see... Oh, Donald DW Razorback stadium. They, they don't say that's oh, going to be tough or man, we can't We, we, we better go in there and have, be on our A game. We won't get a W. You and I know it is. It's one of the most difficult places to play that nobody talks about in the league. So either way they don't get it or it's not until November the 16th, because unless you're scared of cranes, uh, it's not going <laughs> to be October 26th and you know, you get Georgia and Florida at home. So I, I just think it's it's pretty it's wild to think about Texas coming into the Big Bad SEC, and they don't get the full SEC experience until the middle of November.
0: We apologize for trying to better ourselves up here. Okay, we apologize for building.
1: It's coming, but it's just this is not going to be the year.
0: Yeah, we so don't we don't rest on. It's going to be cool when
1: it's done. But yeah, we've got uh, a scoreboard hanging from.
0: Yeah, cherry picker. Have, I I have fun so. in your trailer locker room. Hey, there is one thing I just noticed. There is one thing, okay? Now, Mark Stoops has pulled a shocker or two in the past. Texas has that trip to Arkansas, and then they have a trip to College Station. Sandwiched between that, if you get through the trip to Arkansas and you're getting ready for a trip to College Station, is Kentucky. And Kentucky has a bye week and Murray State leading up to their, their little ambush trip into Texas. Maybe that's it? I don't know. We're trying the Brock Vandergriff experiment in Lexington this year, so maybe that's it.
1: Well, if this was four years ago, Texas. I would say Kentucky will come in there and and they'll beat you up. They they right. welcome a fist fight. They'll rough you up a little bit. You better be on your A game physically. But this Texas team, especially with what we've seen up front, I mean, Kelvin Banks is going to be a first round draft pick. We know what Devondre Sweat's been this year, so I, I don't. I don't look at it that way any any longer. I, I could have four, six years ago, but not now. But still, you're right. you got to go to Fayetteville and back. If that's a scary one, you're already looking ahead to going to College Station for the first time in however many years, and you can't sleepwalk through Kentucky. And we ha- still have to see how Vandergriff's going to work out with Liam Cohen, what they're going to be at running back. They'll be dynamic at receiver. Is that offensive line really going to be better? Defense will be fine under Brad White, right. but that's not one that you can sleepwalk through for sure. But I just... My first thought was that that full SEC experience of going to hostile territory, seeing and hearing things that you didn't know about, that you haven't heard, that make life a little bit more difficult to play. And I think November 16th will be it. And they just happen to go through uh, 85% of their schedule before they'll get it.
0: Now, you know, any Texas fan worth his or her salt is watching this saying, hey, that trip to Tuscaloosa didn't hurt us all too much this year. That's going to be in the oh, comments. Okay. Like, if you want to proactively yeah. respond to that re- to that right. reaction, it'll be in the comments.
1: Cool. And you weren't in the SEC, so we, we didn't really give a damn about when you were going to get the full SEC experience by it being a Big 12 team. What we're saying now is you're going into the SEC, and everyone just expected all these venues, all these tough places to go play, and you got to go play in front of a construction site on October the 26th, and then you go to Fayetteville November the 16th. So the point there was – that's the first time you're going to be delivered that. you have a similar team next year as you do this year, you shouldn't have to worry about the team on the field, and you should be able to offset some of the distractions and things that make life a little bit more difficult because you'll probably have a quarterback that's going to be vying for the number one overall pick at that point in time. So you should be okay.
0: Yeah. So you put on Twitter uh, a little while before we started. Sound like
1: another guy whose show I've never been on that takes things that I say and then twists them up to try to get certain fan bases riled up. That does I don't appreciate your ruse here, but I, I feel like I know where you're going, trying to turn the Texas fans against me before they come into the league. That doesn't sound like me.
0: I just think, I mean, I just think that you you think that the, the conference ends west of the Mississippi and all of a sudden it's a new day, my friend. You're going to have to venture out a little bit. You're going to under, you have to understand this means more than, oh, there's a foreigner reunion concert at Legacy Arena. Like, this actually stands for hook'em horns. Well, I've made the mistake of doing that already. So Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, so you went on the old socials and you put out a tweet a little while ago. I I know where you're going with this. I completely agree with you, but a lot of people didn't and they're just wrong. So the tweet said, is anyone looking at these SEC schedules and thinking, oh man, they need a ninth conference game. Now what you thought you were doing, which I agree with is making a good point. Your point was these are gauntlets already. There's no way you could possibly look at this and say, they need a ninth game on that schedule. And then sure enough, ooh, ooh, here come the clapping seals. Of course we want a ninth conference game. It drives me up the wall, over the cliff, because you know my thoughts on this. The same people who scream, you need to play a ninth conference game, are the ones in December, like I said, who would be criticizing you because half of the conference lost another game. And I know Pac-12 folks rest in peace, are out there saying, well, we've done it all along. I know, man. And up until about five minutes ago, I couldn't have cared less about you playing another Arizona State or another Oregon State or another Washington State. That's a little bit different, man, than, than tacking on an extra South Carolina or a and or Auburn at the end of the day. And And you know as well as I do, even after they add the ninth conference game. I mean, Florida... Florida is legitimately playing maybe the toughest back half of a schedule I've ever seen, but they got Samford early in the year, and someone out there is going to say, these SEC teams, they can't help themselves, fattening up on those cupcakes. It's like, brother, yes, there's a cupcake here. There are nine tomahawk fillets over there that we've got to face. Are you high? No, you're intellectually dishonest, purposefully. So were you surprised by the reactions to this
1: tweet? Would you like to talk now? I was surprised by some of the people who I deem as college football intelligent and, uh, and non-casuals who just responded, yes. Mm, saying that they, they did look at the schedule. Once again, think about how you, the question was phrased. You said it. Did anyone look at these schedules and say, should have gone to nine? <laughs> Can't believe it. How are we not at nine conference games here? No one looked at these schedules and said, jam another one in there. like Get another one in. Nobody did. Uh, Missouri would probably be the lightest one, and even there, you're looking at the teams that they play in conference and saying, "I I don't know if you really want another one of those. Like I said, if it wasn't Georgia, we'd be saying the exact same thing that we say about Florida's schedule with what they have to go play. There are portions of the Auburn schedule that you look at. Even the Alabama schedule, you look at the teams that they have to play, and you don't just say to yourself, Please get another game in there. Please get another game. Which, by the way, uh, I'm not going to put down Chris Hatcher's Sanford offense getting there, running the traditional air raid, and how difficult that's going to be. Other people can, but it's the same thing this year, Josh. When we were trying to talk about strength of schedule, and you would mention an LSU, and people would point out the losses, or you would mention an Arizona, and people would point out the losses. But what other people don't just look at the entire picture is the aspects of those teams. And from a matchup perspective, how difficult they can be at certain points in time. Um, look at a Miami and the ACC. Like no one's going to give a lot of people a ton of credit for that win this year because, like you said, they're not undefeated or one loss, so therefore they don't count right. as a team that should really be difficult on your schedule. But they can obviously get after you up front. They got some talent on the perimeter, even though the offensive line was pretty young, and they're difficult to deal with. So I, I just there's no way that I looked at would I love to see it? Absolutely. Do I want them to go to nine games? Yes, I don't like lettuce weekend. I've been against it for years, but I didn't look at these schedules and immediately say, "Where's the beef?" Like yeah. the old Wendy's commercials. Like that, that that wasn't what happened when I took a gander at all of these schedules if, for 2024 in the Southeastern Conference. Like if you're willing, I'm going to single out Tulane just because. If if you're willing to look
0: at potentially a team going eight and four or nine and three against one of these schedules and put him in over an 11-1 and hypothetical two-lane, if you're the person who's willing to do that, I got no problem with you telling me you want nine conference games. What I'm not going to do is listen to the crowd who bangs the nine conference game drum in August, who in December says, well, you are what your record says you are. I mean, we've got to honor records. Shouldn't the games on the field matter? And I'm like, yeah, shouldn't they? Are are you listening to the question you're asking? It drives me up a wall.
1: Well, similar this year, you look at Missouri's schedule. Nobody would ever bring up Kansas State and say that's a good win for Missouri. Uh, You look at old Miss schedule, and I know the quarterback was out, but still going 2-2 Lane, that's a good win. I'm not saying put Lane in the Hall of Fame because he got that win, but that's a solid win. And those are the ones I think that you're referencing that people just are basically going to discount. They're not going to bring those up and say, hey, man, that one wasn't easy. Either one, where you played it or the contrast of style that you had to face or just the fact that they're a pretty good football team. So that's, I'm with you.
0: Why were you and I so right about Alabama? If someone watched us in August, listened to what we forecasted for that team, which was centered around dominant offensive line play, and then they, um, I don't know, went on a vacation for three months, and they came back just in time to watch the SEC title game, they probably watched that game and said, wow. Kublik, or whoever that guy is with the podcast that Pate has on his show, those dudes were right. Look at them blowing Georgia off the ball. Now, I wouldn't tell this person that, but I think you and I and the rest of the audience know, took a little while to get up to speed. They finally got up to speed, so we were both trashed and praised for what we expected from that unit. How did they finally get there to that level of play, and why did it take so long?
1: Trashed and praised. Uh, where where was the praise? I did have not not familiar with. It's mostly been via praise. text, via family so oh, far. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Right. Um, that that would be fun. That if my family members cared enough about my college football takes that they texted me to tell me that I was right, uh, I would appreciate that. Um, and then to to discount even further what you're saying, a lot of the folks after the fact, when I have gone out of my way to show visibly how good of a game that offensive line had, it's then been discounted by my well, average two-point yards of carry. How, how can you say they were dominant? Well, when I see defensive tackles going through the air backwards, uh, I, I'm going to label that as dominant. That's usually at the top of my list. So when I see double teams knocking guys two gaps over uh, and the running back has plenty of space to be able to get through and it's not his fault he doesn't make a second-level defender miss, I'm going to probably label that as dominant. But the reason why it took so long was the offense. And you had a new offensive coordinator, with a new style of quarterback, not just a new quarterback, but a new style of quarterback that was going to take some figuring out. There was going to be a feeling out process. You didn't really know what you had on your hands once you were going to turn it all over to him. And I would imagine, haven't had this conversation with Nick Saban or Tommy Reese, Josh, but I would imagine, based on what happened in the a game last year, and what I have been told was happening in some scrimmages there was some, probably some nerves that were on red alert about some potential turnover issues and wanting to try to avoid those. So what do you do? You simplify. You make things easy. Well, the easier you make things on your guys, the easier you become to defend. And then just, there was point blank, there were things that were changed and altered throughout the course of the season. Tommy Reese began adding more motions. He began adding more movement pre and post snap shifts, different, different personnel groups. If you watch that Georgia game again, Guess who was one of the players that had his best game in an Alabama uniform? Once again, that nobody's going to tell you about. I mean, number 45, Robbie Oates. Well, he hadn't been a mainstay for the first four or five games of the year because they probably didn't think they were going to need him to be a guy who operated in sometimes a quarterback run heavy offense. But when you can add a gap and you can add a blocker, I'd probably prefer for that blocker to be a good blocker as opposed to someone who has no interest in blocking. So therefore... Their personnel groupings changed and morphed throughout the course of the season. We began to see some quarterback counter, which, by the way, for you play-by-play guys out there, every time the quarterback keeps the ball after a snap and runs, it's not quarterback power every single time. We saw quarterback counter. We saw quarterback power. We saw quarterback inside zone. So Tommy Reese figured out who his offense was. They found an identity. As I mean, look at weeks, what was it, like three through five? You and I sat here and talked about it. They were a shot play offense. They were a handoff, handoff, handoff. Jalen Milrow throw the ball deep offense for about three or four weeks. That's what they were. And they knew they weren't going to be able to live that way forever, but they got away with it to a certain extent. They let the offensive line rip a little bit, began to feel it out, had the understanding the freshmen got a little bit more comfortable. And then next thing, you know, they began to look like a dominant group later in the season.
0: Now, also, also, you know, that Pete Golding took immense criticism from Alabama folks when he was there you sort of defended Pete Golding. You didn't say he's the greatest to ever coach the defensive side of the ball, but you said the criticism's probably a little overblown. Having said that, I don't think anyone can watch Alabama this year and deny that there's a different level of play up there. So how do you assess what's happened over on that side of
1: the ball? Well, for num- number one, I think they've calmed down a little bit. And... Pete is just hyper-aggressive. It's who he is. I mean, hell, talk to him for 15 seconds, and, and you, he's like the micro-machines man when he talks to you. Like, you're going to miss, like, 14 out of the 28 words that he spits out. He's awesome. He's great. He's one, of the, he's one of my most enjoyable human beings to talk football with, but he's a lot, and he coaches his defense that way. It's some sort of movement, slant, stunt, shift, blitz on every play. It just is. And so I think what happened was Kevin Steele – And I think the influence of Tavares Robinson's helped out a lot as well, because I think Nick Saban's allowed him to have a louder voice than some other folks have had when discussing the defense. And what is he at his core? He's a defensive back, so he probably wants to protect that group. We don't have to blitz every play. It makes it a little bit easier on your safeties and corners. So let's rely on our guys up front to be able to be problematic. What Alabama basically has done forever under Nick Saban. Now, they don't have the same guys inside. They're not as... There is no Jonathan Allen on this team. There's no Quinn and Williams on this team, but they probably have the best bookend of edge rushers that he's ever had since he's been at Alabama. So they realized, I think pretty early on, we should be able to get home with four, even though we might not dominate inside. If we can push you into situations where you have to throw the ball, be it one, we're scoring points or two, we're making you work your way down the field. And at some point in time, that offensive coordinator is going to get greedy. That's advantage us. So I think what happened was the defense calmed down a little bit and said, we've got players, we've got talent. We don't need to go overboard, scheming things up. Just let them play ball. Look at Deontay Lawson this year. I mean, how many times has Deontay Lawson blitzed? It's, it's no more than what you would see from any average inside linebacker across college football. But if you compare it to what the Ole Miss linebackers have done, it would probably be 20, 30, 40% less yeah. than what Alabama's had done the last few years. So I think the main thing, Josh, is they just calm down and they're really good in the secondary. Terry on Arnold coming into his own has been massive. That has helped that group out tremendously. Having a Malachi Moore that can play every position they have on the back end, be it star, nickel, corner, safety, free, boundary, he can do all of it. And, and T-Rob's told me that. Like, he knows everything so well we can put him anywhere. And I think also, look at the SEC championship game. This is something not a lot of people would talk about. Those transfers that they got that some people laughed at some people said, Amos, Louisiana, we didn't even offer him here. Uh, some people looked at Jalen Key at UAB and said, a box safety? You got the Caleb Downs kid coming in. Why do you need him? Well, guess who both made plays late in that SEC championship game after Kool-Aid McKinstry went down? It was Trey Amos and it was Jalen Key. So those, that depth became really valuable for that team as well, and having it on the back end is just something you have to have in today's college football.
0: All right, last thing here, totally shifting gears, I guess kind of. So we got the whole Malik Murphy opt-out thing happening at Texas, and it's obvious kid doesn't want to do it right now, but the way our calendar is so backward structured kind of yeah. has to do it if he's going to leave, and I've, I've got coaches complaining and everyone behind the scenes in the game is complaining, and it's obvious the calendar's broken and a lot's wrong with the structure of the sport. However – I got folks with 500 followers on Twitter trying to scream at me, no, the the sport's never been better, and their evidence is TV ratings are up, which I've always thought is one of the most flawed indicators of health of sport that there is. I mean, television success has always been well downstream of the health of any entity, sports included and college football included. So forget about TV numbers for a second. Most people who speak about them aren't fluid in them anyway. When you look at and you talk to folks around the country and you use your own observation – uh, how, how do you gauge health of college football right now?
1: I think the health, oh, that, see, that's a, that's a very interesting question, Josh, because I could answer it multiple ways. Um, and, and it goes along with what you were talking about with TV ratings. And I think part of that is, as you would reference, casuals or people who aren't diehards may be coming into it or wanting to check it out or wanting to see what it's about the calendar that you and I are so stressed about and that is driving coaches away from this sport, I'll share something with you on that here in just a moment, that is actually helping the popularity, so to speak. Now, as you just said, popularity doesn't always mean that something is healthy or viable or sustainable. And that's, I think sustainability may be the word that's probably best used to ask where college football is right now. Is this model sustainable? No, I don't believe that it is. It's just going to become too complicated. It's going to become too blurry, and it's going to drive a lot of people away. And this is where I'll share that with you. I have spoken to four or five coaches who I adore, who I think are amazing, who I don't want to leave college football because of the kind of teachers and educators and human beings they are. I want them in those facilities for these young men have told me point blank. I can't believe I'm not using this on my show, by the way, but I'll give it to you. I ain't going to be doing this much longer. Yep. Plain and simple. Just – and it's not, hey, I'm not sure how long I can do this or, hey, this is hard. It's literally like whatever it is, financial, retirement, money in the bank, whatever that finding an NFL job, that line in the sand has been drawn and they might not know exactly how far away it is, but when they do get to it, it's over. They're out. They're done. And I know nobody out there feels sorry for them because O-line coaches make 800000 a year and coordinators are making $2 million. I get it. But there's also there, – there has to be a little bit of a – a realization you hear lane kiffin continue to talk about free agency and you guys want to say that and say they should have this freedom but in real free agency guys just can't pick up and go you know guys can't go enter free agency in the nfl or the nba and the gm gets a text about it and says oh wait like how dame limergen dame lillard he's like in in the portal he just entered free agency and he'd have to tell us like we're not contractually obligated to any of that So there's just part of it that's nonsensical. And like you said, with the calendar, early signing day, when the portal opens and closes, as opposed to, and they try to do it academically, but let's be real. We used to be very stringent with how the academic calendar met with the athletic calendar. I know this because I lived and breathed going to the SEC championship game, playing in bowl games. I've been there. And the academic portion of it had to be tied in to when things started and ended. That's not real anymore. No. That, that's not something that has been taken into consideration or tried to be moved around or scheduled around. It's just foot on the gas, take care of your classes online somewhere. Nobody gives a rip. What's happening? So it's, it's tough, man. I, I don't know. I have told multiple coaches, I don't know how you guys do it. I really don't. Because, like, you look at what's happening at Oklahoma right now. At Crazy. one position, one, one position, the offensive line, you had two guys going to the NFL. And, I mean, I think I've lost count. Like five offensive linemen have hit the portal, maybe more? Like, How do you even manage that? How are they going to play in this bowl game? I mean, It's just, and, and that's where the, the calendar really, we have to say anyone can play in the bowl games. Which then, the inner college football person to me, the, the part that's like deeply rooted in my DNA, is going to say, oh, so now we're giving guys five games to play and it doesn't count against a year? That's stupid. Why don't we just say play five years? And there is no red shirt anymore, and we're done with it. So there has to be a meeting in the middle somewhere, somehow, if the bowl schedule is going to stay anything close to what it is right now.
0: I don't know, man. Everything you're saying, I agree with you. I used to think we were a long way away from that. I don't think we are. I think um, somehow, some way, when we get through these next, I think, two years of playoff and they have to renegotiate the next one, which they're doing right now. I don't think they're arriving at a, a sign-on-the-dotted-line moment there unless there are concessions made and there is significant structural overturn in college athletics period, college football included. Now, look, I don't know what all that means. I, I, you saw me. I rubbed my eye because it twitched just thinking about what all has to happen and how many people have to come together at the table. But, man, if you have folks who really understand what the alternative is, and, and have a little foresight and understand we cannot get five to ten further years down the road doing it this way. It's not possible. Right. And, and by the time that TV ratings start to dip, it'll be way too late to actually address the problem. If sure. you got some folks who understand that, I don't think we're a long way away from it.
1: No, and here's – I'll give you a, a little, another example of that. So when I say meet in the middle, okay, that's what I think college football refuses to do right now and we're you're just going to have to manage this here in a second because he's coming in and nobody can stop him and it's just it's just what he does so he uh, he's shutting the door right now i'm just going to come on up buddy there Let's you go, go. meet if he in knows the middle in here he, he comes in he, he doesn't care like he's just he's like i don't care if you're if it's work if it's radio if it's Josh Pate's podcast like i'm i'm coming in and, and we'll figure it out does he have any there answers has to be a... Lockie, do you like college football right now I do. Okay, there you go. Oh, he's just—he's he's he just,
0: he's, just—he's not, about nothing but television
1: ratings. That's the way he's That's always it. been. <laughs> there has to be a, a good example of this sort of meeting in the middle that happened recently. Was I don't know if you saw Kurt Warner's tweet um, either earlier in the week or over the weekend, and he was talking about guys who are playing play, and he, he said caps playing six years of college football. I believe what he meant by that was there's not guys who are on teams for six years. There's guys who have been mainstays on their roster for six years, as in contributors on the field for six years. That is unheard of. That we have not been dealing with. And I think for a lot of folks that, again, refuse to meet in the middle, they're only going to have their one thought process on this. They immediately thought that Kurt Warner was saying that, Oh, it's so unfair for Quentin Nelson to go have to block true freshman outside linebacker and he's gonna destroy him every time. Or, oh, senior linebacker Takeo Spikes gets to go up against true freshman, 180-pound running back. That's life's not fair. That's actually not what he meant, in my opinion. I think what he meant when he talked about the physical maturity was not just yes, you can get run over by some guys, and this is probably why the NFL doesn't allow 18-year-olds to come play. But think about where we are with 21, 22, 23, 24 year olds playing college football, how you process things, how you understand things, how you know how to go study film. I didn't know how to study film until my third year in college. I had no idea what the secondary was doing until midway through my third year in college and how that impacted the front seven and how that might show me where a pressure was coming from and why one corner played only into the boundary and one played into the field. Why free safeties rotated the way that they did. When you're 23 and you've played six years of college football, you know all of it. You figured it all out. You know how to prepare, you know how to handle your business off the field a little bit better. You're more mature, your body's more mature, your brain is more mature. So I think what he was trying to say was, no, I'm not saying that it's just physically unfair for Orlando Pace as a junior to go against you know 17 year old outside linebacker. What he's saying is the guys who have legitimately been doing this for five or six or seven years sometimes, there is a portion of it that's a little bit unfair. And like I tell him almost every day, life ain't fair. But I think what he's trying to say was just think about where we are with some of these guys that have been in their systems and been around college football for such a long time That, yes, they're going to be way ahead of schedule. And, yes, they're going to be way ahead of a lot of the other guys. And it's going to continue to take opportunities away from younger players. Right, wrong, and different. There's just some reality to what he's saying, going back to what you're talking about, where we are with not only the schedule, the movement, and the ability to stick around and play for a longer period of time. There have been at least four quarterbacks this year that have gone into the portal. And I'm thinking, like, is there a new portal to the draft? Right. Is there a portal to the professional world? Like the NCAA told me, we're all going in pro in something other than sports. Like, maybe they now have a portal to that where they can get you to enterprise, rent a car, you can get behind a desk and start working right away. Right. But no, it was to play more college football. And I'm like, K.J. Jefferson has a year? <laughs> like Grayson McCall has a year? Grayson McCall needs like, to be working at AFLAC, man. Portal to <laughs> AFLAC. Where are we? It's good for them. Go do it. I would have done it. But it's just there are portions of that that are problematic for other parts of college football that we don't often want to talk about.
0: What are we doing on Cube show over the holiday season? What's coming up over there?
1: We're going to do some bowl previews. We're going to talk about these schedules coming up Sunday. I'll give you my thoughts on each team, SEC schedules 2024. We'll preview some bowl games, and we always go watch film on the portal guys that are coming into the SEC teams that nobody knows about. Like Auburn gets a receiver this week that I feel pretty good about. Big play guy, can take the top off, but also works the screen game very well. So we'll actually watch them, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Because there was Uh another receiver from Ohio State that everybody gave you their opinion on that had this many snaps played in college. I don't know how you give an opinion on that because I haven't seen it. I'm going to give you opinions on things that I've seen. It's a dangerous concept. I'd much
0: prefer to just go to a website or a message board and steal someone else's opinion. But you do you over there. Cube Show. I'm Check it out. On it. YouTube, you just type it in. It's not just some random podcast. It's actually out there. It has its own logo. And um, I enjoy it. You will too. Cube, appreciate it, brother.
1: Maki, do you, do you root for Pate state? Oh, wow. He said yes.
0: Parenting. He said yes. There is no substitute for good parenting. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. And... That is a wrap for us. Look at that. I've never wrapped the show over here. Colin, Jesse, but first time for everything. We appreciate you guys so much. Nothing special. It's not like we're quitting or anything. I just, I got a little comfortable over here pre-recording. And so that's the way we chose to do it today. Make sure you're following on the socials at Josh Instagram, and Twitter. whole lot of stuff's going on right now. We will be back here Sunday night. Until then, take care. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland.